Hey everyone, I've missed talking to you in these little intros so much. It's been a minute. If you're listening to this for the first time and hearing me for the first time and wondering who the heck I am and what I'm talking about, let me explain. My name's Angelique Carson, and I spent 11 years writing as a journalist for the International Association of Privacy Professionals, or the IPP, as it's known. During that time, I launched the first privacy-focused podcast, to my knowledge, called the Privacy Advisor Podcast. And honestly, I was blown away by its success. I think the reason that it was so successful was because so many of us just naturally in life crave a sense of community. But especially in a profession like privacy, where many of you are a team of one or at least a team of only a few, I think it can feel really good to find a space that's always waiting for you, like literally in your pocket, if you listen to podcasts on your phone, where people speak your language and feel your pain. Whatever the reason for its success, I was really, truly sad to leave it behind when I left the IPP. Since then, I've landed at a company called TerraTrue. I really wasn't job hunting when TerraTrue approached me, but I took the job because my instincts told me that these were my people. Above all, I was really looking for a place where I could find mentorship, people who could help me up-level my game, and also a place where people were smart and above anything else, just good, kind people. In the startup world, that's not always what you find, but I really feel like this team is that. You'll learn more about my team in the coming months and years, hopefully, as I divulge details of my life that seem relevant. Apologies in advance. But honestly, I can't wait to introduce you to them at future privacy events. Many of you listening have already met some of them at the IPP Global Privacy Summit, and I'm thrilled you feel the same way I do about them. Anyway, what the heck is this and why are you listening? Okay, so I'm launching a new podcast, which you probably get since you're listening to this. This one's going to feel a little bit different from the last one because at this point, many others have joined the privacy podcasting space and they're doing great and I'm thrilled to see that. Here's the deal. There's a ton happening in the news at all times when it comes to privacy. It's hard to even keep track and certainly hard to find the time to read all of these articles. I wanted to give you something that you could listen to on your way to happy hour or that team meeting that would tell you the latest in privacy and why it matters without requiring you to keep 17 tabs open on your desktop at any given time. And I want you to have fun absorbing the news and also understand why that news is important. I want you to be able to do it while you walk to the coffee shop or drive in your car or chop veggies for dinner. So the Privacy Beat aims to do just that. Of course, I'll bring guests on and I'll deep dive on some of the really important issues that's given. And there are way too many smart people working in privacy to not have them on the show. But think of this in general in terms of format as kind of like a Cliff's Notes on privacy industry news. I want to be in touch with you and hear what you need out of this. So as always, feel free to email me at angelique at terratrue.com, or you can DM me on Twitter. My handle is at privacypen, or you can email me at the show podcast at terratrue.com. Let me know what you want to hear. In this first episode, I recruited my buddies, Gabriel Madoff, an attorney at Goodwin Proctor, and Coben's wife, Keegan, to help kick things off. At the time we recorded this recently, I was wildly stressed out trying to come up with a name for this body. So we pick up in the conversation with Gabe and Coben trying to help me figure it out. In this first episode, we're not actually going to talk a ton of privacy news, though we will talk privacy. But I just wanted to introduce new listeners to myself, and I felt like the best way to do that was to have people listen to me interact with two of my privacy besties. You kind of get a feel for who I am, for better or worse. As always, I hope you enjoy. 
please let me know if you like the episode and where I'm going with this. And also, if you would, help me out by spreading the word about the show. Love you. Talk soon. What about the privacy potty? I want to use potty. I haven't introduced... Yeah, like, I haven't, why not just do that? I haven't broached potty yet, but I have a feeling that my boss is going to be like, I don't want potty in the title. It sounds like you're potty <laughs> yeah. training someone. But yeah, I used to always refer to my last podcast as like the privacy potty or like, I'd be like, all right, this week on the potty, like I have this person coming on and like, yeah, I mean, not the everyone privacy loved it. potty. I like it. And it's, it's almost podcast. Like, it sounds like party. It sounds like potty. a mainer. It sounds like my people. It sounds like privacy my people potty. saying. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You should have a, yeah, that, just call it the privacy potty. And then yeah. <laughs> listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch it, and then if I still have a job by tomorrow, you'll know it went well. And if I don't, you'll know it didn't. You can also do this is a really unhelpful suggestion. Blah blah blah. Colon the privacy podcast or something. <laughs> Yeah, like, and then you get, get privacy in it. Yeah, because like, then you can put whatever you want at the beginning of the. Of the yeah, of, it's yeah. like dead bodies colon the privacy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> What's this about? It needs to be sensational. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, anyway, the reason that I had y'all on, as you know from my text to you, but so the broader world knows, is because I'm launching a new podcast, as we're talking about, and I. I want to talk about it. Like, I'm still trying to feel my feelings about this. And like, you know, I've been out of the, the proverbial game for a couple of years now. I'm a little rusty. Uh, and I've changed jobs twice since then. Uh, and so I'm still kind of finding my way. But I think the bottom line is I just miss talking to people all the time um, in a casual setting, different from a webinar. You know, there's plenty of webinars out there. We got to do them. Uh, for better or worse, but I miss having just conversations like this. And it's like an excuse for me to ask my friends to come on or beg my friends and threaten my friends to come on uh, the show with me. And then I get to spend time with people like you. Although y'all were very nice. And I didn't have to threaten you at all. You immediately agreed. Yeah, I mean, I get it. You you just miss having ca- casual conversations and recording them and broadcasting them to the world. It's a, it's a, it's totally a thing that normal people do. You know what? <laughs> I like though. There's a little risk to it though. It's like I, you know, I never listen to a podcast once it's done. Like I've never gone back and listened to them because I can't handle it. Partly because I, yeah, I mean, I'm just. It's one of those things where you hear yourself talk and you're like, oh no. Um, but yeah, there's a little bit of risk to it. Like we're recording live. Anyone could say anything. I mean, sure, I have editing control, but you know, there's some danger to broadcasting to the entire world. And I miss that. I miss it so much. So who um, is the entire world here? Who who are we talking to right now? Okay. Great question. So I should probably say that now I'm at a company called Terra True, and this podcast will have nothing to do with uh the fact that we sell a privacy product, except that we I want to be upfront about the fact that we do sell privacy software as a service. And so I say that to say that our the, the people that we're interested in talking to in terms of like from a terror troop perspective would be, you know, basically it's like your <clears throat> data protection officers, your general counsels, your chief privacy officers, which like 
works great because that was the crowd that I was trying to appeal to before when I was at the IPP, because that is the IPP's crowd as well, mainly. Um, although we've welcomed many other into the four since you know the IPP's early days, such as privacy engineers and consultants and analysts and all the all the like. But I really want to talk to people basically who are doing what we're doing, like their their everyday lives and their like KPIs or OKRs, as we say in the startup world, are like based on, you know, making sure that privacy performs to a certain standard at whatever company or nonprofit or government agency you're at. Um, and I think like, especially right now, there's just so much happening in the privacy space. It's overwhelming. It's hard to keep track. I mean, you know, thank God for things like the daily dashboard, but it's hard to keep track of like what's all happening and also to contextualize like what's actually important and like why is it important. And so what I want to do with this, I think, is just appeal to people who are like living similar lives as we are all over the world and help to distill some of like the noise into like bite-sized little packets that they can take with them. Like the idea really, I think is I want to give people a rundown of the most relevant stuff so that you can walk into whatever privacy happy hour you're going to at anywhere in the world and feel like you know what you're talking about, you know? Cause there's like always that moment where you're having a drink with someone at whatever pri- I mean, I don't know if everyone does privacy happy hour, like DC does privacy happy hour. Uh, I mean, Gabe in London, do they do privacy happy hours or no? Yeah, there's, there's some privacy happy hours in London, but probably not as much as DC. DC just like loves a good happy hour. God, happy hour and brunch. It's like super extra. Um, but like, I always feel like even if it's not a happy hour, say it's like you're a meeting with your boss or a meeting with your team. And like, you're the person who's supposed to like keep everyone up on privacy stuff. It's really hard to do your job and stay up on the news. And some people prefer to consume news through their earlobes. And so I think the idea here is to give people a chance to come here friends in the industry talk like friends about the really important stuff. What do you guys think about that? Is it a good pitch? Would you buy it? If I was on Shark Tank, would you be like, I'll invest in that? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I'll, I, I, if you were on Shark Tank, I would buy whatever you're selling, Angelique, because uh, <gasps> you, you have me when you walk in the room. Because I do think there are issues that deserve more attention than just the headline reading. Like a lot of the privacy professional's life, I feel like is like, okay, that's the news, but now what do I really do with it? Like, how do I operationalize that? You know, it's like, you know, for example, it's like privacy by design. Like we've been hearing about that forever, but it's like, does anyone really know how to do it? Like, I don't think so. Uh, so I think there's some space for us to do um, some deep dive type interviews too. And that's my plan. Do I have yeah, your blessing? Sense. Yeah. Um, okay. So what I thought you did really well in your old podcast, and I, I have to imagine this is part of the plan too, um, was, um, you know, privacy is sort of an, an abstraction. We talk about data, it's like personal and whatever, but it's such an abstraction and you, you feel far away from the people. And I felt like your old podcast, you did a really good job of getting behind the sort of abstraction and understanding the, the way it impacted people, um, whether that was the impact of a law on, you know, the actual targets of the legislation or, um, you know, the way that impacted people in the profession who had to like deal with this new kind of change. Um, and so I, I like the idea of doing sort of longer interviews where you can explore the people side of it. That's so nice. Thanks for saying that, Gabriel. Yeah, I I think like that, I don't know if this is something I've always told everyone because sometimes people ask me like, 
why are you like, if you were a journalist, why would you get like, why did you get into privacy? Like, why are you doing this? So weird. Uh, But I think for me, like the idea of breaking down complicated topics and like putting it into layman's terms is always is because I spent the early part of my career interviewing lawyers at the, you know, as a reporter for the IPP and which was fantastic way to grow a career. And I, I cherished it, but like I often felt on the outside of it because it was a lot of lawyers and I didn't go to law school and I didn't understand like legal jargon. And if they use an acronym or like cited like NIST, like document, you know, eight, five, seven, nine, two or whatever. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so I had to like climb my way through that. And I always wanted to feel like more of an insider than I did. And what's weird and like interesting to me is that there's actually a craving for that, even among lawyers, I think like, I don't know, like the people, I think people want to talk like humans and want to understand beyond the standard, like how it impacts us and why we're doing what we're doing, like sort of the philosophical ideas behind why we're all slaving away to help people exercise their privacy rights or help companies do the right thing, hopefully by people um, that they're trying to sell products to. And so I think it's interesting, like the organic sort of... um, group or family or community that grew up outside of the privacy advisor community was actually a lot of like GCs and like lawyers like yourselves who were like real smart people, but they still just wanted to talk about it. Like they were just talking to a friend, you know? Yeah. And I think that really resonates with me, uh, resonates with me now, uh, being at the IEPP now in particular, because, um, yeah, I think privacy, there's plenty of room for more discussion about the the personalities behind privacy, like the getting to know the like somebody has to do the work, um, and that's what the privacy profession is for. Um, and I think there's a lot of appetite for hearing more from individuals about about their work, about their challenges, about their story of how they got to privacy, and maybe what they're thinking about. Um, all of that is, I, I like feeling like I'm part of a community. So whether like, I, I, yeah, I don't think there's any limit to how many podcasts there can be talking about uh, that kind of stuff, because we have, um, it's a growing community and it's, it's good to hear stories, you know? Yeah. And obviously like the IBP is like, has done a, you know, an amazing job at cultivating a community there. But I, I think that there are more, I think that there's such a hunger for people to relate to each other and to like, especially for a lot of privacy people, like the feeling I get, and this is also from my experience of just going to parties and like being a human is that you can't always go home to the dinner table and be like, you won't believe the like DPIA I had to do today. It's like, no one wants to be like, shut up, dad. You know, like we don't, what are you talking about? And uh, I think like there's, there's like a real craving for privacy people to be around people who like speak their language, feel their pain. And I don't think there's only like one place that we can do that. You know, like, Um, I think that anytime you invite people to come into a conversation of people who are like-minded or at least have similar experiences, whether they think the same way or not, it's always, there's always this feeling that I get when I get in a room like that. Like we did a happy hour the other day with Josh Harris at the uh, BBB national programs. And he was talking to us about, you know, uh, cross-border data flows and the announcement of this new uh, CBPR forum to try and increase the ability for, you know, various countries to participate in data sharing. And I don't know, anytime you get people in a room like that and, you know, maybe you have a glass of wine as well, or, you know, a club soda, if you will, but like, you just, 
you feel this sort of camaraderie instantly. And there's a lot of head nodding that happens almost instantly. And I think it's just people wanting to feel like they're heard and understood by people. And sometimes you're the only privacy person at a company. So you don't have that. Like you can't even go into like a meeting room and be like, Bob, like this, you know, this BCR process is really driving me crazy. But like when you come into a space where it's, you know, privacy peeps, they they all feel your pain. And so I think this can be like kind of a place for that too, or like just come and vent. I'm also thinking of like a fun thing that I could do at the end of these where I was thinking about doing like a hot takes portion of the show. Like I'm trying to come up with a gimmick and maybe listeners can help me come up with this where we kind of do something that's repeated like every single time, like, you know, Dave Letterman's top 10 lists or, you know, whatever, something that like, it's sort of a part of your brand, but also like there's a familiarity. Do you guys think that word's hard or is it just me? Say the word. I'm going to try it now. (laughs) Say it. Say the word. It is a hard word. You said it so well. (laughs) Familiarity. (laughs) It's a hard word. Uh, There's a familiarity to it. And so you kind of know what you're going to expect and like uh, you look forward to it. So I was thinking we could do a section where it's like privacy, like hot takes and people could just call in and be like, I'm done with this Shrems guy or, you know, whatever, like, you know, or the hot take of the week. So I know we've talked about this over text, but that just made me, when you said people call in, one of the, one of the challenges with that is maybe this is not a contemporaneous like radio call-in show, right? It's maybe something that you pre-record, but what if you just had like a voicemail box and you just let people call in and leave you messages? (laughs) That's what I want. That's totally what I want. I want, we already set up an email for it. It's like, I think it's podcast at terratrue.com where people can like write in about what they want to say or talk about or suggest guests. But I think I should have a call in line where you just leave your message. Now, the question is, do I allow it to be anonymous? Because we all know what happens in anonymous forums. Like people come and they say terrible things. Not that the privacy profession would do this, but it's, I wonder if people would be daring enough to call in and use their real names or if they're going to be too scared to do that and it'll fall on its face. What if they were like confessions? Like, have you ever heard of the, do you remember the post secret? Um, yes. Like that's like 15 years ago or something, but uh, I, I just looked it up. It looks like it still exists, but people would mail in postcards with like confessions on them. Maybe people. Yeah. Like Ooh, that. that could be Privacy funny. Confessions. Yeah. yeah. Privacy confessional. Maybe that's the name of your podcast. I don't know. Privacy confessional. Ooh, I like that. That could be really fun. Yeah, I think I think you should keep it anonymous. I mean, you will get a bunch of garbage, but you'll also get all the fun stuff. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, okay, so an important part, I think, of introducing myself to the public is also understanding that I think my friends are like the most important thing probably in my life outside of my family, although you could... Um, so I would love to tell people a little bit about what y'all are... Uh, up to these days and you know what you're doing. So what's interesting is that both of you have been on my podcasts in the past when I did the Privacy Advisor podcast for the IEP. Um, but since then, there's been tons of changes. Both of you are at different jobs and uh, one of you is getting married. Uh, so that's happening. Gabe, if you don't want me to say this out loud, then we can edit it out. No, that's fine. Okay. Okay. Editor, please note, don't edit that thing that I just set out. Um, okay. So <laughs> we've, so, so anyway, 
Coben, tell us about when the last time you were on, actually, I don't even remember where, maybe you were still a Weston fellow when I had you on the potty. But you've been, since then, you've been at BBB National Programs doing like absolutely stellar, amazing work. Tell us a little bit about, a little bit about what you did there and then where you are now. Cool. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think the last time I was on was actually with Gabe. Um, we had that uh, early pandemic oh, reaction. Yeah. <gasps> oh, we just like <laughs> talked about our feelings. Yeah. We probably loved that episode. Not. It was a great episode. It probably was, oh, it would be horrifying probably to go back and listen to it now because we've, well, we have learned yeah. a lot. I haven't re-listened, but I think I made some wildly inaccurate and overly optimistic predictions. Which is on brand. So there's that. And then I found my way over to IEPP, where I am now the managing director for IEPP DC, um, doing a much more policy focused uh, role, uh, really uh, kind of here to serve as the face and voice of the privacy profession in DC, just trying to keep up with the conversation of privacy, uh, which, as you know, is incredibly difficult to do. Uh, it's always an aspiration, um, but I'm focused primarily on, I guess, the federal conversation, like U.S. federal uh, privacy stuff, uh, which includes both like legislative proposals and tracking the FTC and then looking at other executive branch agencies, seeing what's up with uh, privacy uh, policy making and um, other related things like AI, uh, data ethics kind of stuff. So that's what I'm up to now. So for those of you listening and who don't get to benefit from seeing Coben's face, the face of the privacy profession has a phenomenal mustache. <laughs> you really don't. Thank you, Gabe. I <laughs> And Gabriel, tell me what's going on in your life. We're going to your, we're celebrating your marriage in a couple of short weeks, your beautiful bride cat. Um, but also the last time you were on the podcast, I think you were at probably Bird and Bird or Covington. I think Covington, and, yeah. Yeah. And now you're at Goodwin Proctor. Tell us about that gig. Yeah. So I, I think I was on your podcast uh, when I first started at Bird and Bird in London and I was being overwhelmed in the run-up to GDPR. And so you had a very sleep-deprived me trying to make sentences string together um, while sort of learning how to be a private practice lawyer. Um, we got through GDPR. A lot of people missed the deadline, but everyone survived. Um, and uh, then uh, shortly after, I moved back to the US um, to Covington and Burling in DC. I moved back because Kat was here. Um, I also moved back because the center of gravity and privacy was looked like it was moving um, west at the time with the CCPA. So it was a, a fortuitous moment. Um, and uh, yeah, so at Covington, I went from one of um, the biggest privacy teams at a, at a firm in the US um, to Goodwin, which we're very much in the process of building up our team. Um, we've gone from a handful of privacy lawyers to nearly 30 um, in the last year. Uh, and I came over with Omer Tene, who was um, at the IAPP before this. Um, and so together with that, you know, a number of other great lawyers were, um, were, were serving a really interesting client base. Um, and what's different about it is um, our clients tend to be smaller and mid-sized companies. Some of them are emerging companies, um, really tech-forward, really health-focused. Uh, so a lot of what I've been doing lately has been focused on like Web3 and crypto, which is super interesting and has been a big learning curve for me. 
I don't um, understand and, anything about that. Like, what is Web3? Boy, uh, <laughs> um, it, it's the idea of like building a decentralized internet infrastructure. Um, so it's very user-centric. Um, it's A lot of it is based around the blockchain. Um, and, and some of it is focused around creating the platforms that will serve the metaverse. Um, so really interesting technologies. Wait, uh, wait. Also, I know I asked you a question and now I'm not letting you answer, but I have pressing questions as you speak, which is that <clears throat> years ago when I was at the IBP, uh, like people were like, you should write about blockchain. And then like my editors along the way would be like, you have to write about blockchain. I'd be like, I don't want to do that. I don't understand. Now I understand a little more about blockchain since then, but like I could never explain it to even a toddler, but I feel like the the coverage of blockchain technologies, anyone who writes on this beat would tell me I'm totally wrong. But in terms of my world and privacy, the it softened a little bit or it was less frequent, but but the future really is blockchain, yeah, in terms of this Web3 situation. I, I think that's up for debate. Um, I think the Web3 people definitely are investing in this technology and there are a lot of them. Um, and it's proven to be um, you know, blockchain has moved beyond cryptocurrencies and has become sort of a governance mechanism. Uh, and so we're seeing all sorts of organizational um, techniques founded in this sort of technology, which is really interesting. Um, now, when you say governance mechanism, you mean because it's immutable, like it's a, it's just a great way to sort of like immortalize various uh, actions? And so... Immutability is like one characteristic um, and, and sort of one of the key characteristics. But I think why it's a governance mechanism is because of the decentralized nature. Um, these technologies don't rely on a single sort of company or individual to control um, everything that's happening. It instead spreads out information across nodes in a network. Um, and so you can create different types of organizations um, where um, the users have much more control and oversight over um, how uh, the, the organization makes decisions. Yeah, so I think you can think of it as like it's distributed by nature, right? So it has that advantage as a technology if you're trying to come up with, with new ways of making decisions or... Um, yeah, I think that's kind of how the idea of governance plays in there. I, I would just add that, like, you don't need to have the blockchain to have a decentralized governance structure. And I think we see that the Internet version 2.0 was actually fairly well decentralized and not controlled by one any any one given entity. Um, but we the promise of you mean the, you mean because there were competitors that came up like against the Google no Google. i mean the actual structures of the internet so like the, the the people that make the decisions about like how dot com works and stuff like that 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 those institutions have always been uh i think it's a pretty impressive structure that was built out that is in my mind fairly decentralized but in a different way like in not the and not the technical way, just in a societal way that like, it wasn't just like one guy in a big company making a decision. It was a group of people through consensus uh, and maybe focus in the US, but actually fairly global um, coming to uh, decisions about kind of how the internet was structured and how you would build different layers of it out. 
And do you think that that was always going to be the case or do, or is this a reaction to people feeling like that there are certain gatekeepers or like there's a certain man on a throne who's like directing how this is all going to go and users are feeling like this sense of like maybe there should be some sort of uprising where we have more control like which which is the case would you say? I, I was think this, it's a was, reaction. Okay. Um, so, so you know, going back to Bitcoin, uh, some would argue that Bitcoin was a reaction to um, like the financial crisis and the role of central banks and the politicization of money and the idea that you could take all those governance, all, all those government structures that had lost people's faith mm-hmm. and sort of kick them out of the picture and um, recenter the focus on on sort of the end users, um, and I think we're seeing that in all sorts of domains. So, um, to give an example, um, right now there are a handful of companies that store most of the data in the world on the internet. Um, so there are a handful of like big cloud service providers, and usually when you like use any SaaS platform that stores data. They're subcontracting with these handful of companies like AWS and Google and et cetera. Uh, and there aren't that many of them. And they're they're holding everything. Um, and, and now we're seeing some companies emerge that want to break that up. Um, and so um, they're imagining um, systems like the interplanetary file storage system. Um, I may have gotten that it. wrong. Um, where like you know, you'll you'll store a document and pieces of it will get broken up and scattered across the web and stored on different people's servers all over the world. Um, so you don't have this single um, node that is so central to um, the functioning of other businesses. Or, or maybe you do because you have to work through that protocol, but um, the argument is maybe you don't. Word, I didn't answer word. your question though. Is it a reaction? Absolutely. Um, I think they would say that um, this is returning the web to what it originally was intended to be. Um, okay. So when the, the consumer web first emerged, it was very much a peer-to-peer system. Um, and then we traded some of that democratic and openness of the system in favor of um, you know, more closed systems that were easier for consumers to use. So, you know, using Facebook or Google or whatever, it's easier to communicate with people. You don't have to be a coder to do it. Um, but it means that you now have these um, platforms that mediate our our interactions in a way that wasn't envisioned at the beginning. Yeah. Um, well, we got more into the weeds than I meant to, but that's because you guys had really interesting things to say. And I want to cut us off because I want this episode to be, uh, as I want all of my information transmission to be, sort of bite-sized, um, you know, lower calories, et cetera. But... Um, will you guys come on this podcast in the future and talk to me about things that you're doing? Sure. Yes, definitely. 